Welcome to Sunshine Soundwaves. I'm Gabrielle your host for today. It has been over a year since the World Health Organization declared the COVID-19 outbreak a pandemic. Throughout the year, there have been over 3 million unfortunate deaths caused by various factors. For example, respiratory failure, septic shock, and even cardiovascular failure. Fortunately, several COVID-19 vaccines like the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and Moderna vaccine have been developed in hopes of establishing herd immunity to curb the spread of the COVID-19 virus. Today, we are fortunate to have our guest speaker, Dr. Chan Kwai Rong, on board to share with us more about the spread of COVID-19, its effects on the cardiovascular system, as well as some insights on the development of COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Chan Kwan Rong is a principal research scientist in the program in emerging infectious diseases at the Duke NUS Medical School in Singapore. He specializes in the study of host immune responses to flaviviral infections and vaccines. Thank you for inviting me here. <laughs> it's a, indeed a great uh, pleasure to be here um, talking about um, viruses in general. And this time uh, we are focused on uh, uh, coronaviruses, which is uh, the primary cause of uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So um, hope to uh, share with uh, you guys uh, on the scientific part of uh, um, coronaviruses and hope uh, you guys uh, will have a better understanding of uh, this uh, virus and how we can uh, curb the uh, virus spread. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Chan. A WHO-led investigation in China found that the coronavirus most likely jumped to humans through an animal host. Dr. Chan, could you share with us how this is possible? Actually, this is a really scientific, uh, really interesting scientific question. And uh, right now, we still do not have uh, absolute evidence of uh, suggesting where um, the first uh, coronavirus uh, emerged from. Uh, but what we know from studies uh, from our department as well as uh, from global leaders around the world, it looks like uh, bats are one, one animal that uh, allows uh, the transmission of these coronaviruses. So what's uh, unique about these bats is that they have very interesting uh, immune system that their immune system uh, allows the virus to grow but yet uh, it does not cause disease in bats. So this makes the virus actually grow much more rapidly in this host. But yet, because of that, they are very attenuated immune response to viruses. These viruses can actually grow and multiply within the host. And because viruses uh, also have a very uh, unique ability to mutate, so uh, because they have a high mutation rate, so in this host, this can actually generate a new species of viruses that in most scenarios, these uh, viruses uh, don't really transmit. But in rare scenarios, some of these viruses uh, can actually be potentially transmitted to uh, humans. And when humans have in contact with bats, then that's how some of these uh, coronavirus can thrive. And then once they adapt to the human host, then starts to spread rampantly. In this case, the coronavirus is uh, one example of it. Yeah. I see. We definitely should at the very least step up the guidelines for animal care in agricultural sectors, especially to reduce the potential for such outbreaks in the future. Moving on to the next topic, a study led by Singapore's Nanyang Technological University scientists found out that people who recovered from COVID-19, especially those with pre-existing cardiovascular conditions, may be at risk of developing blood clots. I'm sure some of our listeners will wonder, how is the COVID-19 virus, an acute respiratory illness, 
able to also cause damages to the cardiovascular system. Actually, you guys are correct that the, the virus uh, majority pathology and everything is mostly in the lungs. And that's because when the, the viruses are usually transmitted in the form of a droplet and when it gets into the airway, the first target cells that are infected are actually the lung cells. And that's because they express high levels of the virus receptor. By the big terms, it's called the uh, angiotensin converting enzyme 2. So because lung cells express high amounts of these receptors, then these viruses can then enter into these cells. And because viruses, they can then be able to propagate and multiply in these cells. And then one lung cell that infected and then it will slowly spread to the neighboring one and then more and more of these cells are infected. So what happens is that when these viruses are growing uncontrolled, then this results in what you call respiratory failure. And that's because the lung cells actually die and, and lost its function. So, so in the severe COVID-19 cases, these individuals actually would then succumb to this respiratory failure and require oxygen supplementation to be able to recover from the disease. So how it infects the other organs is still largely unknown, but what is also known is, uh, especially like in the elderly patients and, and maybe in the immunocompromised uh, individuals, and lately also uh, in the obese subjects, what they found was that these subjects, they cannot mount immune response that's quick enough to stop the virus spread. So what happens is that because the virus uh, is able to grow and multiply very quickly, and what happens is that the immune system is then activated. And in this sense, uh, because the immune system in a form of inflammation is actually trying to stop the virus spread, but because the virus is growing so quickly, the host cannot cope with the virus. And what happens is that this, this result is what you call hyperinflammation. So that means excessive inflammation. And this is because uh, there's a lot of these uh, immune mediators in the blood. And, and because of this release of these high quantities of these uh, immune mediators, this actually can result in what we call sepsis. In many cases, uh, it also affects the other organs because uh, these immune mediators are actually very active and in turn can affect the other organs, including the heart and even the brain in some severe cases. It's unfortunate to hear that the COVID-19 will have a long-lasting impact on most affected patients, unlike the flu. That explains why we are highly encouraged to take up the COVID-19 vaccine. Talking about vaccines, I've read online that some of the COVID-19 vaccines are mRNA vaccines. How is this different from other vaccines that use live attenuated viruses or inactivated viruses? This mRNA technology is a very cool invention. So how you can think about mRNA is like a sequence of genetic code. So basically, it's a genetic code that encodes for a bioprotein. So in this case, the bioprotein is the spike protein, or essentially it's the outer shell of the virus. So what happens during vaccination is that the mRNA or the genetic code is actually infused into the cells and the cells is able to translate this genetic code right, to make multiple quantities of this spike protein. And uh, because you can make a lot of these spike proteins, then what the immune system does is that they, it recognizes that this spike protein is actually a foreign antigen. So what this spike protein does is it actually educates Right, the immune system that you know this is a foreign antigen and if you should encounter another of antigen that is of similar characteristics, you would then mount an immune response. So in a way, 
how this vaccine works is that uh, it, it allows uh, multiple copies of these viral proteins to be synthesized so, so that it can educate the immune system such that next time when you are really infected with the virus, then the immune system is able to kickstart much quicker because you have seen this virus before. At least you have seen the outer shell of this virus before so it can actually amount a sufficient adaptive immune response or in simple terms, the antibodies and also the lymphocyte response can be triggered very early such that prevents the spread of the virus. In so doing, obviously, because you stop the spread of the virus, then you would reduce the risk of severe disease outcome. Yeah, so that's how the vaccine works. So in comparison to live penetrated vaccine, obviously it cannot be as good as live because essentially you are only uh, putting a genetic code for the outer shell of the virus is actually not the entire virus, right? So, so compared to a live virus where, you know, all the viral proteins are available, obviously it can trigger a more robust immune system. But the only drawback is that live attendant vaccine because it's also a live virus. So it has to undergo much more different regulations to ensure that the live vaccine is safe. So in the event of a pandemic, which requires immediate solutions, then this approach may not be the most ideal, although it might be the most effective, but probably not the most ideal. So in the market, there's also the inactivated vaccine. It's interesting that most of the people in China are taking it uh, and also in other countries as well. The efficacy compared to the mRNA vaccine is uh, lower. Uh, right now, we don't exactly know why, but the inactivator, what it does is that it's uh, inactivated. So what is either inactivated by a chemical or by heat. So that means the virus essentially destroyed and same concept. So it educates the immune system so that it recognizes. But somehow, Compared to mRNA vaccine, it seems to be less efficacious. I mean, lots of scientists are still trying to find out why. So right now, at least with the COVID-19 uh, situation, probably not applicable for all viruses, but at least for COVID-19, uh, it looks like mRNA vaccine is still the fastest runner <laughs> compared to the other vaccine candidates. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm, however, the mRNA vaccine technology is rather new, and I guess there is a possibility that some people will be wary of it. Dr. Chan, since you have extensively studied host immune responses to vaccines, how do researchers generally ensure the safety and efficacy of these vaccines? The development of vaccines is actually a very long and a painful process. So like before the COVID era, the fastest vaccine that was ever developed was actually the mumps vaccine. And that, even that, it took four years for it to be eventually licensed. Why is it so difficult? That's because there's a series of steps that needs to be done to ensure that the vaccine is indeed safe and effective against the virus. So primary is divided into multiple phases. So you have the preclinical stage where essentially you test the vaccine in an animal model. So the animal model usually use mice or monkeys, which are also uh, mammals. Hopefully they will be able to inform us some aspect of uh, safety and its uh, effectiveness. And then after passing through the uh, animal model, then slowly uh, then it goes into phase one. To go into phase one, it actually needs a lot of steps because it makes sure that uh, all the vaccines must be uh, produced at a certain level of good manufacturing practice so it, it must ensure that it's actually safe for humans to use and must make sure that you know every bed is, is uh, actually highly purified and does not have any contaminants and everything so there's actually a lot of quality control that 
that needs to be done before it actually goes into phase one. So a phase one, usually you have recruitment of few individuals, maybe like a handful of them just to different uh, doses of the vaccine to see whether people are adversely react, reactive to the vaccine or whether it's safe for use. And then slowly it then goes into phase two where you have hundreds of uh, individuals getting the vaccine. Sometimes they will recruit people of the different demographics just to make sure that you know it's not male to female kind of adverse event or is it an age group dependent effect. So in this uh, phase, they actually also assess the safety and efficacy and then slowly into the phase three where you have to recruit thousands of people to make sure that you know it's actually really safe before it can be licensed. So how the COVID vaccine uh, can be so fast, uh, it actually developed within a year. It's actually a record speed. There are several factors that can accelerate this progress. I think the first thing is because we know a little bit about coronavirus because of the SARS outbreak uh, in the past. So people have been learning about coronavirus. This is just a different kind of. People have some idea that the spike protein is important. So in a way, it actually accelerates the development of uh, the target that we should be targeting. Also because the COVID pandemic affected so many people right? and that in this occasion, there's actually a lot of volunteers that are willing to test vaccines. So all of this kind of accelerate the progress of the vaccine development and hence you can see the COVID vaccine actually developed within a year, which is a quite remarkable achievement. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Chan. It has been wonderful having you on the show. I'm happy to share. Um, thank you for inviting me. I hope you guys uh, stay safe, not only in Singapore, but worldwide as well, so that we can get to travel soon. Thank you. <laughs> if you would like to ask us a question about today's podcast, or would like to offer your expertise and join us as a guest speaker, please email us at the link in the description box. Thank you for supporting our new podcast, and we hope you have enjoyed listening to today's session. Stay safe and see you soon.